Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the tsunami of grace which we have received in what he has done. Thank you that Jesus died for our sins that we might be forgiven, but he did not remain in the grave. He rose again in power, offering to us the great, gracious gift of eternal life. And we thank you that he's coming again in glory, and we look forward to his return when we will enter into the new heavens and the new earth and be in paradise forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I want to say firstly, congratulations to Jeff and Laurie on their anniversary. That's amazing, 35 years. I can't, I can't. Well, Jeff's, Jeff's gone. I can't see even. Oh, there's Laurie. I am going to steal your thunder just a little bit, I'm afraid, um, because on Friday, uh, Francis and Margaret will be celebrating 50 years of marriage, their golden wedding anniversary. Can we give those guys a round of applause? All these fantastic marriages, yeah, after we talked about competitiveness, all these fantastic marriages are pictures of the love of Christ for the church. The love that exists within those marriages teaches us about just how loving and faithful God is. So we're so grateful to, to those amazing marriages and thankful to God for what he has done in strengthening them. So do congratulate Francis and Margaret and Jeff and Laurie on their amazing marriages. Now, why don't you take a minute to say hi to someone next to you and I'm just going to get a glass of water. Okay, let's pray once more as we come to read from God's word. Sorry to interrupt your conversations, but let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew, which we've been reading together as a church. Thank you for the teaching of Jesus that we have read previously and we're going to read again this morning. Lord, would you speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you challenge us? Would you teach us of your holiness? And may we glorify you. May we be the, those who are blessed at the end of this passage in Matthew 23. Because we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest sermon ever preached? Jeff's claiming one of his by that noise from the front row. <laughs> If you were to uh, tell me what the greatest sermon ever preached, many of you, I think, would say the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus sits down and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He begins that sermon with nine blessings. Nine declarations about favour from God. Happiness in the kingdom of God. That word blessed contains the idea of happiness and joy. And so this great sermon where he sits and he preaches is a sermon of blessing. 
I wonder whether any of you, if I asked you what's the greatest sermon ever preached, would say Matthew 23, which is, in stark contrast, a sermon of woe. So you've got a sermon of blessing that everybody loves and a sermon of woe that many of you may never have even heard preached before. And, of course, that is what we're going to be looking at this morning, the Sermon of Woe, seven woes that Jesus preaches against the Pharisees, but as warnings to us. And so let's read this sermon together. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, Matthew 23, verses 1 to 39. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you but not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God. And by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves 
that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees have questioned Jesus seeking to trap him and to kill him. Jesus has answered their questions we've seen over the last few weeks in Matthew chapter 22, and then asked his own question, which has left the Pharisees speechless. He now delivers a cutting sermon full of dire warnings to the Pharisees and his disciples and the crowds. You can see that in verse 1. He is speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. So although this sermon is directed at the Pharisees and he calls them hypocrites over and over, he speaks also to us. If you would call yourself a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, this sermon is for you to heed the warnings contained within. He begins with a general intro in verses 2 to 12, summarising the errors of the Pharisees. Then he pronounces seven specific woes upon them. Woe, of course, is the opposite of that word bless. So to bless is to receive the favour of God, the happiness of the kingdom of God, the happiness of Christ. But woe, of course, is misery and judgment, not to receive God's favour, but judgment from him. So he pronounces seven woes against the hypocrites, the Pharisees, And then finally, he brings a lament in verses 37 to 39 over Jerusalem. But that lament reveals his heart and gives us a slither of of goodness, a slither of hope at the end of this sermon. I want to focus on the seven woes that Jesus preaches. But briefly, the introduction in verses 2 to 12 is really a warning about leadership. It's a warning that the church needs to hear. And it's a warning that you as a Christian need to hear. Essentially, Jesus says, Christians, you have one instructor in verse 10. That is Christ. Jesus Christ is your instructor. You have one teacher, Jesus says, in verse 8. You have one father in heaven, verse 9, God himself. So watch out for people like the Pharisees who don't lead anything like Jesus, the great instructor. The Pharisees aren't anything at all like Jesus. They tie up heavy burdens. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Pharisees exalt themselves, take the best seat at the feast, want to be seen at the front and and glorified in every place that they go. But Jesus humbled himself, even to the point of death upon the cross. The Pharisees make themselves great. Come, serve me. Lift me up, serve me. But Jesus came to serve. 
the Son of God, who has existed in eternity, to whom all glory belongs, comes to earth and says, I've come to serve. I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. I've come to lift others up. So this is a great warning in this introduction about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And let me tell you, there are hypocrites in church today as well. Beware such leaders who are like the Pharisees and instead love Jesus, follow Christ and hopefully look for leaders in churches who are like Christ in the way they lead. I'm not saying we're we're ever going to be perfect like Christ, but I do hope that we're trying not to exalt ourselves but to serve. That's what Christian leadership really looks like. And ask yourself, do you seek to learn from Christ, to act like him, or are you like the Pharisees? And actually you kind of want to love Christ, but what you really want to do is exalt yourselves and to be seen to be good by others. That's a really, really important question to ask yourself this morning. As we continue to examine ourselves, let's look at these seven woes that Jesus pronounces. Woe one, actually before I talk about the first woe, the temptation when we read a passage like this is to sit in judgment, isn't it? To go, oh, you stupid Pharisees, you are hypocrites, you're rubbish, you Pharisees. Or to sit in judgment over the person next to you. Oh, you're so much like the Pharisees. Please don't shout that during the sermon at the person next to you. (laughs) Instead, let's receive this in humility. Let's say, actually, am I guilty of some of these things? Do I need to confess my sin to Christ? Do I need to repent in my life? Let's hear this in in a humble way. So woe one in verse 13, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are hypocrites because you shut the door of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter in yourself, they neither believe in Christ and follow him, but they also try and stop others who wish to do so. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was having dinner with some tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are in outrage and criticise him. How dare you associate with these people? That's how the Pharisees reacted. They wanted to grab Jesus and throw him out of the room and grab the tax collectors and the sinners and throw them away from the table. How could Jesus eat with such people? And so do you see what the Pharisees are doing? They're refusing to receive forgiveness from Christ themselves. They're refusing to follow him. And they're also stopping others. They don't want these tax collectors and sinners to find the mercy and the love of God. That's their attitude. That's their heart. I wonder whether there are people in our lives or in our town or in this region for whom we are so proud and judgmental that we wouldn't dream of sharing Jesus with them. We might slam the gospel door shut on the LGBT plus community rather than befriending them and loving them and sharing the good news of Christ. We might ignore a particular race or another religion saying, we have nothing in common with them. I cannot reach them. Rather than attempting to overcome differences and learning about a new culture in order to share Jesus with others. Or maybe there are particular individuals whom we know who we just don't like enough to invite to come know Jesus. We think Jesus couldn't possibly love them. I don't love them. As a Spurs fan, maybe I might think that about an Arsenal fan. 
can't possibly reach them. But I'm sp I'm, I want to be serious here, actually. There are people whom we shut the door on. We refuse to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. Are we shutting the door of heaven on people's faces? Woe to, in verse 15, is in many ways the opposite error. You're keen to make a convert. Some of the Pharisees are keen to make converts. They go over sea and land to reach these people. But when they reach them, they don't convert them to believe in Christ. You make people converts just like you. It's like going to someone, hey, you don't need Jesus. What you really need is Duncan's brand of Christianity. Let me tell you all about the rules we have in Christchurch Fairham. And if you follow the rules, then you'll fit in and you'll be part of this godly community. That's not the gospel that we bring. Our, our goal is not to change people's behaviours so that they fit into church and look on the outside like they're Christians. And we're certainly not trying to make disciples of us. We're trying to make disciples of Jesus, learning from him, following him. So there's a woe about failing to do the work of an evangelist, of shutting the door in people's faces, but there's also a, work about, a woe about doing the work of an evangelist for purely selfish reasons and wrong teaching. Our invitation isn't, come and learn some behaviours so you can fit in at Christchurch Fairham. If people learn outward behaviours, we're making people children of hell. That's what Jesus teaches. Twice as much children of of hell as the Pharisees were, in a sense. If we say, come and learn how to look like you're doing well, then we're making ch people children of hell. Instead, our invitation is, come and meet the Saviour Jesus. Put your faith in him. He died for you on the cross that you might be rescued, that you might receive forgiveness. Come as you are. Now, when you come as you are, your life will change. Jesus will change you, but it's, it's him who will change you through, through the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So your life will change, but we want to introduce you to Jesus. That's our gospel message, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. John 1, verses 12 to 13, in the gospel of John says, All who receive Jesus, who believe in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what we're doing. Come and receive Jesus. Come and believe in Jesus' name and you will become children of God. If you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you. You received Christ and you've become a child of God. And so your invitation to others isn't come and learn some behaviours and become a child of hell. Your invitation is come and receive Jesus and become a child of God. Woe three, in verse 16, is all about taking binding oaths, lying and dishonouring God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I say to you, do not take oaths at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you don't need to take oaths. You don't need to swear on things. Just when you speak, speak what is true and right. When you say yes, then make sure that you do the thing that you're saying you want to do. And when you say no, then let your no be no. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So the first error of the Pharisees that Jesus is preaching against is, you don't need to swear by anything, Pharisees. Just speak words of the true. The Pharisees are in error because they like to say, I swear by heaven that I will do this. I swear by the temple that I will be the most holy man in all the earth. Their first error is making oaths at all. 
Their second error, of course, is that they make false oaths. They lie. They swear by the temple and say, oh, it's okay, it's nothing to swear by the temple. I can swear by the temple, but that's not really a a binding oath. That doesn't really mean anything. So I can swear by the temple, I'm going to do this. But you, you swore by the gold of the temple, and that's really important, the gold of the temple. So because you swore by the gold of the temple, you need to fulfill your oath. I'm okay, it's nothing what I've said, but what you've sworn, you must fulfill. Do you see, they're heaping up burdens on others and living deceptive, lying lives themselves. Their words are empty and deceptive. I wonder whether there are people here who say they will do things, knowing they won't follow through. If that's you, repent and seek Christ for forgiveness. So the first error is to take oaths and swear by things anyway. The second error in this woe is is to um, lie about what they're going to do, The third error, I think, reveals something even deeper, and it reveals their hearts. The Pharisees think they can swear on the temple, or on the altar, or by heaven, and it's meaningless. It's nothing. But if they swear on the money, then that's important. What they're suggesting is hugely dishonouring to God. Hugely dishonouring to God. The temple is the place on earth where God's spirit dwelt. The altar was the place where where sacrifices were made to God. And heaven is the place where God the Father sits on his throne and dwells. So all these places are holy. They are set apart because God is holy, holy, holy. The Pharisees are taking empty, deceptive oaths, dishonouring God and his holiness. They care more about the value of the gold than the holiness of God. That's what's going on. That's what's going on here. They care more about the gift that they bring to the temple than about the God who is awesome and who dwells in these places by his Holy Spirit. That's the reason they're comfortable lying, by the way. That's the, way that, where, the reason they're comfortable to use their words in meaningless ways. They don't let, your, let, let their yes be yes and their no, by, no be no. They say whatever they like because they don't have any respect for God's holiness. No respect. And I I think perhaps if you take anything away from this sermon at all, maybe it's just a great reminder that God is holy, that he is perfect, that he is like an unapproachable light. He's so blindingly glorious in his holiness. And if we are Christians, we are claiming to be children of God. And so we ought to live in a way that respects the holiness of God. So Jesus calls these Pharisees blind guides, blind fools, and calls them to repent. And maybe we need to turn to Christ and call out for mercy. I love the holiness of God. I have not given you the reverence, God, that you are worthy of. Forgive me. Change me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Woe for in verse 23, the Pharisees have scrupulous, scrup, I can't say that word, scrupulous obedience to the small things in the law, but ignore the big things of God. So they always give their tithe. They always give 10% of the dill and the cumin and the mint that they grow, but they never fight for justice or show mercy to others or show faithfulness to God. 
that you know they're going oh this little this little this one's so important you must do this and if you don't do this then you're in big trouble but to show mercy to someone doesn't matter Last week, we read Jesus teaching us the greatest commandments of God. And Jesus taught us that loving God is the greatest command and loving others is the second command. Do you ensure that those things are central to your Christian walk? Are you loving God and loving others? Because those, those are the great commandments according to Jesus Christ. Maybe you give money to church and that's really important to you. But drawing close to God in prayerful relationship That's not really your thing. Maybe prophesying and praying in tongues. You love, you're religious in doing that every Sunday. But actually loving someone practically in the church during the week, that's not your gift. You're the prophet. You don't need to love people. (coughs) Or perhaps you love to point out the tiny errors and problems in the church. But being faithful to God and to the church isn't what you're about. You're you're the fault finder. You're the person who can point out the errors. Sometimes, and I love this phrase of Jesus, I'll use this more in my sermons moving forward, sometimes we strain out the gnat and swallow a camel. (laughs) Isn't that just brilliant imagery? That's what we sometimes do as Christians. We focus on the small, tiny things. That's what's really important. And we forget to love God. We forget to love people. We forget to show mercy and faithfulness and fight for justice. Loving God, loving others, fighting for justice, showing mercy, being faithful. These are the core parts of the Christian life. The smaller parts are important too. Those things that I listed weren't bad things. I wasn't criticising those things. Jesus says in verse 23, these you ought to have done. He's saying to the Pharisees, yeah, you know, you ought to have done those things, but not to the neglect of these hugely central and important ideas. Woe 5, in verse 25 is a woe all about washing up. Imagine washing up a bowl and cleaning the outside of the bowl, but on the inside are dried on cornflakes and mouldy milk. And you go, I just leave that. (laughs) Rachel can use that tomorrow morning. It's perfect for her. (laughs) Or you're washing a cup and you completely ignore the orange juice dregs in the bottom and you go, well, the outside looks good. So, you know, that's fine. Rachel will enjoy our orange juice and cornflakes tomorrow morning in those. Jesus says of the Pharisees, you might look good on the outside. You might be good at showing yourself to be righteous. You might might be presenting yourself as these holy, holy people. But inside of you is greed and self-indulgence. You might look like a good Christian. You might come to church. You might say the right things. You might present yourself well on a Sunday, but inwardly, what you really love and care about is getting more money and stuff and indulging yourself. There's greed and self-indulgence on the inside. You covet what others have. You eagerly desire more than you need. You pray for self-indulgent things. You ignore the needs of others. You plot how to get rich more quickly In the inside, God is an afterthought. More stuff, more wealth, more money is your real heart's desire. That's what's going on in the Pharisees' hearts. And I hope not in here, but there will be Christians who go to church today for whom that is completely true of them. 
possessions are more important than God. Greed and self-indulgence are a big heart problem in the Western church. And Jesus calls us to repent, to wash the inside of the cup and the bowl, to ask for the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, and to pursue the love and riches of Christ above all things we can greed after in this world. Woe six. The Pharisees are like beautiful, ornate, whitewashed, whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they look beautiful and glorious and clean and impressive. But what's on the inside of those tombs? Bones. Deadness. Outwardly, they look righteous, but inwardly, they are hypocrites with no obedience to God. They are completely lawless. This morning... And around the world, hundreds, thousands of nominal Christians will attend church. That is, Christians in name only. Outwardly, they look like they are doing well, but inwardly they are dead. There is no spiritual life. They need the Holy Spirit to come and bring them life. They need to put their faith in Christ and have true spiritual inward life. They are dead on the inside, even though they look okay on the outside. Please do not let that be you. Please do not be part of that crowd of people. Because if you are, you will experience the woe that Jesus is speaking about in this sermon. An eternal woe will come upon you one day. Call out to God for mercy. Thank Jesus for his death upon the cross and ask for the person of the Holy Spirit to make you alive. Do you know when we ask for the Holy Spirit, God our Father loves to give good gifts. He doesn't deny that prayer. So ask for new spiritual life in your heart. Hungrily seek life from God within. Do not be beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Woe 7, from verse 29. These Pharisees honour and memorialise the tombs of the prophets from generation past. And they say, we would not have joined in the shedding of blood like our fathers in the past. That's what they say in verse 30. And yet we know their deeds are and will betray them. Even now, God the Son is in their midst before them and they are seeking to arrest him and they will crucify him. So they judge others in the past they try and honour the prophets, and, but they judge people who, who punish the prophets, and yet they themselves are guilty of the very same sin that they are judging and criticising. And maybe that's you this morning. You're sat here thinking, I wouldn't be like the Pharisees. I judge them. They're bad. They're terrible. I wouldn't be like the Pharisees. But actually, when you examine yourself, you care far more about how you appear to others than truly worshipping God in your heart. Or you read the scriptures and you go, oh yes, I'm honouring the scriptures, I'm reading the Bible. But then you say, oh, that's nice, and you shut the book. And you don't live out anything that you've read. You sit outwardly honour things, but actually are you really pursuing Christ and believing in him? Jesus calls the Pharisees, you brood of vipers by which he means you're offspring of a snake. You're the offspring of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. You're the offspring of Satan. He can punch Haas, Jesus, when he needs to. 
And he asks a question, and it's a tough question. How will you escape being sentenced to hell? How will you escape being sentenced to hell? And perhaps now in some hearts, that fear arises right now. How will I escape hell? I'm just like the Pharisees. I'm so judgmental. I'm so proud. I want to exalt myself. I'm materialistic. I'm I'm not like Jesus. How will I escape hell? Well, Jesus ends this sermon with an answer to that question in verse 37. Jesus looks upon Jerusalem, the people who have distorted God's commandments so atrociously, and yet looking upon this city of sin, he says, I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to say? Jesus has called these people brood of vipers. He's he's criticised them for all their sinfulness. And yet he's still talking about being like a hen. He wants to gather them and give them refuge under his wings. Such is the heart of Christ for sinners. He loves to gather together those who have sinned against him and say, come under my wings and receive forgiveness. I am a God of mercy. I am a God of love. If you come to me, you will find shelter under my wings. I'm like the mother hen, says Jesus Christ. Though you have sinned, there is forgiveness available for all who put their faith in Christ. What is Christ's heart towards you? If you've done things wrong in your life, he is like your mother hen. Come to him, find refuge, believe in Christ, receive forgiveness. Because if you're a sinner like the Pharisees, the truth is all you deserve is woe. All you deserve is woe. That's what you've earned by your deeds. That's what I've earned by my deeds. I deserve woe for the things that I have done. I deserve misery. I deserve to be treated like a child of hell. But Christ says there is mercy with me. There's forgiveness with me. There's shelter with me. And there's somewhere I can, I can, I can run to Christ. He died for me. He suffered woe upon the cross so that my punishment might be taken away, so that your punishment might be taken away, so that you can take shelter under the wings of Christ by faith in Jesus' name and know that woe will never come upon you, but blessing will come upon you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The sermon ends. It's been a sermon of woe, and yet it ends with the blessing. And if you are a Christian, if you have taken shelter under the wings of Christ by faith in him, There is blessing for you. There's God's favour for you because of what Christ has done. Well, what about these Pharisees? What will they do with that truth? What about these people in Jerusalem? Well, Jesus says in verse 37, they were not willing. They were not willing. They did not run to Christ. They did not believe in Christ. And as a consequence, the city of Jerusalem will be left desolate. Judgment will come upon the city of Jerusalem. We'll talk about that when we read Matthew Chapter 24, there will be a punishment that comes upon the city of Jerusalem. But we are not like those Pharisees, I hope. We are not like that city of Jerusalem. We will run to Christ. We will come to him for mercy. We will take shelter under his wings. We we love Jesus for what he has done. We love forgiveness and we desperately need it. So come to Christ and put your faith in him. Be willing to receive the forgiveness of Christ today. So, as I draw to a close, we've been challenged not to shut heaven's door in people's faces, but to share Jesus, even with those who seem far off. We've been challenged not to convert people to our Christian behaviours, but to convert them to the mercy of Christ, that they might believe in him. 
We've been challenged not to swear oaths at all and to respect the holiness of God and not speak falsehood. We've been challenged not to neglect the central truths of obedience to God, justice, mercy and faithfulness. We've been challenged not to be greedy or to be self-indulgent. We've been challenged not to clean the outside, but to seek inner cleansing by the Holy Spirit. We've been challenged not to honour or criticise people with our lips and then make precisely the same mistake that they make. But most of all, this sermon, this sermon of woe, drives us to find shelter, refuge and forgiveness under the wings of Christ, our mother hen. I'm going to invite us to have a moment of silence. Maybe you want to pick something on the screen behind me. One of those things where you've been challenged and convicted by the Holy Spirit. And actually, I want to say, forgive me, forgive me, Father. I want to be more like Jesus in this area. But make sure you don't just do that. Don't just resolve to be better in one of these areas. But most importantly, just come to Christ. Enjoy the shelter, the refuge, his love and his forgiveness that you have received. Let's just, I'll just give you a moment of quiet and then I will pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to confess that we have sinned against you. That all we deserve by our deeds is woe. And we are really sorry. We're sorry for the times we've shut heaven's door in people's faces. Or refused to share Christ when we should have done. We're sorry when we care more about behaviours than people believing in the name of Jesus Christ when we try and convert people to be disciples of us rather than disciples of Jesus. We're sorry that we have not respected the holiness of God as we ought to have done, that we've sworn oaths or said we'd do things and not followed through. We're sorry where we've neglected the central truths of Christianity in favour of focusing on the, the smaller things, Lord God, when we haven't fought for justice or shown mercy or been faithful to you. Lord, we're sorry for greed and for self-indulgence. We're sorry when we try and clean the outside and present ourselves as righteous rather than seeking the inner cleansing of the Holy Spirit. We're sorry where we've criticised people with our lips and then committed precisely the same sin that we've criticised others, others for. Or we've been seen to honour someone but not really honoured them and acted in precisely the same errors that we ought not to have done. We thank you for Jesus' death upon the cross his blood that was shed, that we might be forgiven. That woe would not come upon us, but instead the blessing of God. Thank you for that great blessing. Christ, thank you that you are the mother hen, and we are willing to come and take shelter under your wings. I pray for every person in the room 
that they would find that refuge of forgiveness that is with Christ. And we want to glorify you, Christ, for what you've done. And thank you. Yes, we want to change, Lord, and I pray the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon us that we might change and live for you in all these different areas. But Lord, we just love to be with Jesus and know the forgiveness that is in that place. May we live in that glorious place of being under the shelter of Jesus' wings. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we are free from judgment and that we will enter into the new heavens and the new earth, that we have the blessing and favour of God upon our lives because of what Christ has done for us. We love you, Jesus, and we praise and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.